Please note that this episode contains general discussion about alcohol and drugs that might be discomforting to some listeners. This discussion begins at approximately the 30 minute and 10 second mark and continues to the end of the episode. Individual listener discretion is advised. It's a fancy plants podcast. We're talking plants. Like orchids and the million. The fancy plants podcast. Come on, we're talking plants. Like annuals of plants. It's all about them plants. Come on, sugar mama. Hello, plant hydrators. Welcome to episode. It's true, right? It is, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to episode 37 of Fancy Plants Podcast. I am Chris, and here with Sue. Hello. Hello, Sue and Amanda. Hi. Hey, Amanda. How are you ladies doing? Good. Good. Uh, good. Yeah. Tired. Good. Well, yeah, good, good. You've been working hard, Amanda. Yeah, it's, um. well, I, I guess I'm going to... Me saying it's a crazy time of year. It's always a crazy time of year. <laughs> Until October. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm good. And then we start fall lift and then it's crazy again. And then I start crop planning. August is usually quiet, though. August, September. That's like actually two really good months to be quiet. Because yeah. those are oh, yeah. beautiful here, those months. Yeah. And then every single one of us at work tries to cram all of our vacation time and our bank time into two months. So it's like a ghost town. Uh, it's like I worked at a hotel for many years and it was like that at Christmas and I remember I worked retail before that at Zeller's if you guys know what that is it's a old Canadian department store yeah long since closed down um so I'm dating myself a little bit but when I was 17 and 18 I worked at Zeller's and I remember thinking I desperately need a job that is not open or like not retail for the holidays so right and the hotel yeah. was the opposite of that and it's interesting because every job will have that well, I don't know about yours, actually, Sue, but a lot of jobs will have that kind of quiet time. We do. We do. Usually um, December, January are fairly quiet mm. for our quiet times. That makes sense. It's just the, those are times when like because I, I deal with a lot of oil field people. And so those are times when a lot of oil field kind of is just about to pick up before the frost comes out of the ground and everything. So they have a little downtime. And it's just times of the year i think everyone's got everything else on their mind they don't need first aid at that point yeah fair enough so it does <laughs> slow down um i mean we've seen crazy things this year so who knows how this year will be yeah that's true it, it has been unpredictable and even in um in my business we did we always knew what months would have a little bit of a lull for whatever reason and that's completely changed now so it, it does depend on what's happening in the world less for you though amanda because trees are going to grow Oh, well, trees be growing. <laughs> I, my my busy times and my quiet times don't really change, barring that we haven't done something catastrophic with a crop and have to fix it. Yeah. But usually between December 20th and January 5th, the only thing I have to do at that point is get seed ready, which is like an hour here, an hour there. So we always take off the week between Christmas and New Year's. Yeah. And then January... Fifth, or we start back January 10th. I usually have a two day grow meeting. And then January 12th, uh, we start seeding. Yeah. And then it's just hair straight back, thousand miles an hour, hair <laughs> on fire until August 1st. And then we're down to about 10 million trees on site. Oh, which <laughs> peanuts. peanuts sounds like a, a catastrophic number, right? You know, it's like, oh, my God, 10 million trees to take care of. But when you go from twice that, yeah. you know, because I think this year we have a slightly bigger fall lift. So we'll have about eight and a half, nine thousand or nine million trees on site yeah. for August, September, October. Yeah. And that is like a walk in the park. So it's, you have less trees this year. Uh, yeah, we've grown bigger cavity sizes this year. So, uh, a block of trees is a block of trees. They only vary in size by two and a half percent. So that's a standard kind of size. When you say vary in size, are you talking about like the plug size or the, the tree size? The or block the... itself, um, are a standard size. They only vary in size by two and a half percent. Now inside those blocks, you can have anywhere like on our nursery, 
we have anywhere between 77 trees in a block to 180. Okay. So we have more of the 77 size this year. So that brings our total number of trees down. We're still growing the same number of blocks as last year. Actually, we're growing more than we did. But whereas last year we did almost 19 million, this year we're doing 17 million. So when you... That, I just want I'm trying to visualize this. So are, are you talking about like plugs in a block or yep. is it? Yeah. Okay. So uh, a block of trees is roughly two feet long by one foot wide. And in that there's different cell sizes that uh, grow in that block. So um, a 309, for example, I know that means nothing to anybody, <laughs> um, has 180 trees in it. So we grow those trees to smaller specs mm. because... There's more of them crammed into that space. Okay. Uh, a 412A, which also means nothing to anybody except for me. Um, those ones have a much bigger cavity size. So there's only 77 trees per block. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I never really considered that. I just always pictured big trays with the same amount of plugs and you drop a seed in and away you go. Oh, life would be grand. <laughs> so what you're saying is um, your job is more complicated than we could ever imagine. My job is more complicated than I can imagine. <laughs> you know, for somebody who hates math and numbers, man, I am deep into the math number science. What spreadsheets are for? I use a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Excel and me, we have a, we're on a first name you're, basis. You're we, yeah, we've bought each other drinks. <laughs> we've probably gone to third base. Like, it's just the way it works. Oh, man, I saw Excel's boobs. Yeah, I, I did. I see them regularly. Like, <laughs> you know, I used to be an Excel user, um, but we switched over to Google Apps. And Google Apps is actually impressive considering that it's an online software. Yeah, we we use a cloud system at work, yeah. which is great, except that uh, rural Alberta internet sucks. Oh, not so good. New. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I, I can contest to that. Right. <laughs> I, I spend a lot of time yelling at my screen waiting for the mouse to move. Yeah. <laughs> and there's certain times that's worse, like times of the day, I find, or, or days of the week that are worse than others. Yeah. Usually when I'm trying to get my work done, it's click and wait. Yeah. That would drive me bonkers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bonkers. So, Sue, what's new with you? How's, how's the chickies? Oh. Well, the chickens, the, the big chickens are good. <laughs> They're happy. Um, the little chicks, I tried to put them in the big chick, um, big chicken coop. They were they were big enough and starting to make chicken noises, not baby chick noises. So I put them in and they were good for three days. And then um, chickens are dinosaurs. And they, Armageddon? Yeah, it was Armageddon. And um, they destroyed a couple of the chicks. Oh, my goodness. So it's kind of kind of sad. But, I mean, it's busy. And I guess that's part of chicken world. I just have to chicken suck up life. and take. Yeah, that's uh, chicken farmer life. So, yeah, my husband calls me a farmer because I have six six big chickens, and now I only have five littler chicks. I have one one in between, a poulet, and then um, four little four little babies that are six weeks old now. Um, so yeah, that's that was new in my chicken world. But we got a puppy. We got a new puppy, second dog. So that was that's new. It's like having a toddler in the house again. And you know, he runs with a shoe and you take that shoe away and all of a sudden he comes around the corner with another shoe and you're <laughs> oh, just like, oh, okay. I remember those days. He hasn't chewed them. He just likes to take them and run them with them. I think <laughs> he's realized this is a fun game. <laughs> you if chase I grab the shoe, you chase me. Yay. Yeah, this is good. He's adorable. He has those little ears. I love it when dogs don't know how to comb their ears yet and they're all like loopy and floppy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, exactly. And his like fold almost to his eyes. Like they just like. Well, I guess you guys can't see. Yeah, it, but for anybody anybody <laughs> looking, Sue has got her fingers over her eyes in puppy ear shape. Yeah, yeah, and they come down to my eyebrows. Yeah. yeah, so that's he's really cute. Um, we haven't officially stuck with a name yet. We've had him for a week, and I wanted to have a music legend name. I know everyone's like, oh, I, can't, I thought you would go plant name, but I wanted to have a music legend name. And here, philodendron. Here, fellow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just call him. Phil Monster. Monstera. <laughs> Phil, Phil Monster. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Phil Monster. Please name your dog Phil Monster. I'm begging you. <laughs> Even just Phil. Just I'm, Phil. I'm cool with that. Well, actually, we're thinking maybe Louie. Yeah, we went through Hendrix. I thought he looks like a Hendrix. I got him a little collar with a bow tie and he's uh, very handsome and kind of dorky looking. 
So um, we were going to call him Hendrix, but that doesn't roll off the tongue. And honestly, he doesn't really suit it. He's kind of floppy. My husband keeps going, he needs a floppy name. So Chris was really helpful and sent me a bunch of um, other words that mean floppy, like flagellant. And, you know, he is a little flagellant. Um, but yeah, so was, that made me flaccid laugh. Flaccid was my favorite. Oh, flaccid. Yeah, that flaccid, was the one. Yeah. Yeah. Flaccid. And I said, I, just, just to be clear, I sent the source.com <laughs> screenshot with words that were um, associated with floppy and flaccid was one of them. And I said, please don't name your dog flaccid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so, it, but it was funny. They made me laugh really hard. Can we so, make his, like, if you call him flaccid, can we give him a middle name of Richard? Because <laughs> <laughs> of the nickname. Yeah. Flaccid dick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we went through Hendrix. I liked Zeppelin. <laughs> And water comes um, out of Chris's nose. <laughs> I liked Zuko from Danny Zuko from Greece. Um, but yeah, everybody's not on the same page. So then we thought Vinny, but then we don't really like Vinny. So now we're on thinking maybe Louie. I think he'd make a good Louie. I think yeah. he'd make a good Louie. He's kind of, Louie's kind of like a floppy name. Yeah. I'm Louis. not sure how Louie's a floppy name. And I can call him Lucky but... Louie because he's a parvo. Like we rescued him from a rescue and he's a parvo survivor. Who's Lucky Louie? Oh, I like Lucky Louie. That's cute. Yeah, that's cute. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's cute. So we'll I, see. I can't comment on dog names. Mine's duck. Yeah. So. Mine's a food. But your, yours isn't. Yours oh is God, Tucker. Yours is food too. Yeah, mine is food too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like he started out as Tucker, but you can yell Tucker until you're blue in the face. And he's just like, well, I don't know. Yeah. You yell duck. He's like, oh, that's me. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so you know what's funny? We're thinking of getting a couple ducks. Because <laughs> they eat mosquitoes. And we have the biggest mosquitoes ever. You have a pond? No, but we there's a we found a bathtub there. <laughs> so you're just going to put your ducks in a bathtub? Well, they can swim in the bathtub. It's big. It's pretty big. How, how do you cage ducks? Like, how do you... People keep them with their chickens. Okay. I don't know if I will, because mine are, you know, T-Rexes and eat everything, including other chickens. So, um... We, I don't know, but we were thinking of getting some, a couple ducks. So if I get a duck, I think I should name him. Tucker. Tucker. Yep. Tucker yeah. the ducker. Tucker. T I'm gonna, I would like to expand on that, but I'm going to refrain from dropping <laughs> F words. Because <laughs> Tucker the ducker sounds kind of. <laughs> I just really want, I want to say it so bad, but I'm not going to. Oh, okay. <laughs> You'll have to say it off air. Yeah, I will. I will. I I'm trying not to drop f bombs on the podcast, but <laughs> yeah, well, we'll you'll we'll wrap up recording and you'll just spit it all out. All oh at yeah, once, it's yeah. All, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say the f word like sixty Six times. times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um. Well, thank you for the update, ladies. What's um, new in your world? Oh gosh, I'm I'm pretty busy. Uh, work's pretty busy. The um, my other podcast that we're my friend and I are doing for the true crime podcast is. We're really starting to get together and working on that. Lots of research in that one. So, um, I mean, I love this podcast because, yes, we do research, but it's not this kind of research where okay. we're like reading books and try talking to historians and going to the archives. And, you know, like this is serious research and it's like so much work, but it'll be great. Yeah, we're, we're a little loose in the research area. But we already know it, right? Well, and I've I've spent what 25 years researching plants exactly it's kind of like speaking of which i got i have more plant research to do this weekend i've got <laughs> course material to study <laughs> that's Yay! all amanda does well we we did have that talk where really your entire life is plants yeah pretty much yeah yeah but uh yeah and then you guys can just tell me when i'm wrong about things and i'm totally fine with that yeah that works <laughs> you can tell me when uh, i'm wrong about things <laughs> Perfect. So yeah, it's been it's been pretty wild. Um, I'm sleep deprived currently, but I plan on changing that soon. I hope so. We actually did hire some more people at my business as well, so that's really helpful. Um, get some stuff off of my plate and frees me up to do other stuff. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then my oh my gosh, you guys, my school is suffering immensely, but I only have two classes, so I'm gonna catch up to that over the next week or so, and then it's all self learning. So I mean. I don't, there's no classes or anything like that, but I do know I'm getting behind, but I actually find that I work better when I'm a little bit behind because then I can. Oh yeah, I need a deadline. Yeah. And then I can just like really focus on it and get it done. 
Whereas if I have lots of time, it's a totally different story. <laughs> yeah. If you don't give me a deadline, it ain't getting done. Yeah. Exactly. I need a deadline so that the day before or an hour before or whatever before I can be like, oh, I, my panic work is my best work. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it turns out that, you know, for as much as I procrastinate, I am well aware of exactly how many hours whatever it is is going to take me and it's usually a half hour less than that that i'm like okay let's go yep yep <laughs> yeah i'm with you on that yep <laughs> For i sure. totally hear that oh man yeah i uh so yeah i've been procrastinating a tiny bit but i'm gonna i'm gonna get it done and it'll happen and you know it'll be good when it's done but i did i chose to do some of these things before i knew about the podcast grant so adding that on was just like oh <laughs> I guess and better get we are tapped out. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. And so I get asked sometimes to take on some other extra stuff, and I thankfully I know how to say no to things because otherwise it would be a wild ride. So yeah, it's been really good. Nice. Been busy. Excellent. Um. So we got an email from Stephanie. Uh, Stephanie is from Norfolk, Virginia, and Stephanie asked us a question about a rooted clipping she picked up of a monster peru from a local seller. So we thought, you know what, we we did do um, like the import episode where we talked a little bit about what to do with your plants when you get them. But we're just wanting to do a little uh, topic today of, you know, if you're getting a propagation or you're maybe receiving plant mail, what do you do with that and what don't you do with that? when you receive it. So Stephanie is specifically saying, um, I cannot get all the sphagnum moss off the roots. I tried running it underwater with no luck. I'm not sure what to do, but I know if I leave it for too long, it will root rot. So she has that clipping in her prop box. Um, and I know we talked a little bit about sphagnum moss and its effect on roots before we started recording. So we'll talk a little bit, bit about that. She's also asking, any chance you could shed some light on propagating stem cuttings in plastic bags? Um, the thing with sphagnum is that uh, a plant, your plant growing in the wild, and we all know that plants are way more dramatic in our houses, but you don't need to get all of the sphagnum off. A lot of um, imports, a lot of plant mail, it'll come wrapped in sphagnum. Get what you can off without damaging the roots. In small amounts, uh, if you're planting it into a regular soil mix, once it's got solid roots, the, that bit of sphagnum that's attached to the roots shouldn't hurt it. You may have to um, be mindful that you're not watering when it's still wet and you're getting your proper dry downs. While it's rooting out, I would recommend keeping it on a heat mat because the heat mats will help um, increase the number of dry downs that you get. So you're less likely to get root rot that way. So, and I've seen you actually do that when we received an, an order from overseas for some Hoya. Um, I've seen you had essentially a seed mat kit, let's call it, where yeah. it has the seed mat, it has the plastic trays and the humidity dome. And literally you were laying those plants in sphagnum moss, giving them some water and letting them kind of adjust to mm -hmm. being in the mail. So you're suggesting kind of that same thing yeah, when you're when you're ready to plant, like it's you've had the plant for a little while, your leaves are rehydrated, it's starting to put out new roots. Get yeah, some lukewarm water, uh, baby bottle temperature, um, and run the the sphagnum under that and loosen it off gently. If you don't get it all off, it's absolutely fine. Yeah, I have a confession to make. I uh, I just kind of take them and kind of shake them. Like I hold them at the root base <laughs> and just kind of shake off whatever comes off sphagnum moss and oh, yeah. plants it. And I plant it just like that. Yeah, so do I. I don't, uh, I don't worry about picking off any, like anything or stressing. So there's usually quite a fair amount there. Yeah. And I haven't really had a problem. Um, if, if the problems that I've had with the plants I've done that with aren't because of the sphagnum moss, they're just because of my own watering um, <laughs> issues. Armageddon. Back yeah. to Armageddon. Yeah. <laughs> So that sphagnum moss, will it just um, deteriorate, like disintegrate? Yeah, in the it'll, it'll break down over time. It's like anything that's compostable. It'll break down over time. So, Sue, so you're saying what you do is you don't, um, you don't put it in a humidity dome. You don't lay it out. You just pop it right into the soil and then you go from there? 
If it has a good root, like if the roots, if I can see the roots kind of sticking out, yeah, I just shake it off and then I put it in. But I, the humidity dome, I still do the greenhouse, like the Ziploc greenhouse. Gotcha. I usually still put a bag over top of it. Um, I'm a fan of the Ziploc, um, zip bag, Ziploc bag greenhouse. Oh, so, yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll do that. But I mean, if it has a good root base, um, yeah, I just plunk it right into this, the soil or whatever growing medium I'm going to use. If it doesn't have, then I'll do what Amanda does. I'll just take that moss. I'll put it in, you know, sometimes it's a red solo cup with a Ziploc bag on top of it. You know, I get, yep. I get real fancy with the expensive stuff. So solo cups, we never seem to have a shortage of them at the house. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I use those a lot. Well, and that's what we did too when we cut up that white uh, wizard. I yeah. Thought. And I got to tell you guys, it was an exercise in patience. But every single one of those cuttings rooted. Oh, yeah. And you had some stem cuttings in there. Yeah. And basically, we threw some sphagnum moss into a Ziploc bag. We put the cutting in on top of it so that the nodes were facing the, the moss, sealed it up, and put it on a heat mat. Oh, you know what? I'm so sorry. We only did that with one cutting. Yeah. The other two were in water. Yeah. But they all rooted. Nice. And it took forever. Yeah. It does. Yeah. <laughs> I find like philodendrons, especially any type of them, they're they're slow, slow to get going. I remember I had this one um, philodendron a long time ago and it sat on my counter and it didn't grow, didn't do anything. And then finally it started getting one long piece. So my mom was like, cut it. This is like before I had Internet. And um, my mom was like, cut it and just stick it back in the soil. So I did. And I was like, dying, like all the leaves on it curled up. But the stem still felt good and I left it there. And I think it was like two years later. And my mom might even have this plant still because when I moved, I gave her a bunch of them. Um, it, uh, yeah, it, she left it alone and it, it grew. It took like a year for it to do stuff. So um, basically what I do like start to finish when I get uh, a, like bare root plant mail or cuttings, um, I start by taking my box of cuttings to an area in my house where there's no other plants. Because especially if you're importing, yeah, there shouldn't be any bugs in there, but just just don't, you know, you, you don't want some sort of funky ant crawling through <laughs> your kitchen from a country that you've never been to. It's it's just terrifying. But I always take them to a spot where there's no right, Chris has yeah, got the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> Yeah, um, I always take them to a spot in the house that doesn't have other plants. Uh, the bathtub works great because you can kill it with fire in the bathtub. <laughs> um, and I take everything out, uh, look under at it under bright light, uh, inspect for bugs. Then I'm looking at roots. If it's well rooted, I'm going to plant it up and quarantine it because I'm all about the quarantine. If it's dehydrated, um, I'll put them into a propagation box, just laying on wet sphagnum. Um, or I will um, put them in plastic bags, whatever I need to do to keep them isolated from my other plants and give them the heat and the humidity that they need to rehydrate and then and, go from there. And that is something Stephanie's asking specifically is propagating stem cuttings in plastic bags. So we covered using sphagnum moss a little bit already, but are there other ways? Like, for example, I've seen... Um, will propagate uh, plumeria cuttings but what that's actually different than what we're talking about here because what I've seen people do is stick the end of the cutting in a bag with some growing medium and seal it up like yeah. tape it yeah and then eventually that bag comes off and ta-da they have a rooted cutting yeah but you probably you wouldn't want to do that for a more delicate plant like um, a pothos or a philodendron well, or I actually that's how I root Steve or Kevin I don't know why I was going to call him Steve. Um, so he's he's a satin pothos and he's very long. But anytime I've propagated pieces of him, I do the same thing. I actually, I don't even get fancy with substrate. I just uh, wrap a little damp paper towel around the end that I want to root, throw it in a plastic bag, zip it up. And, do you put uh, the whole cutting in the bag or do you just nope. put the rooted uh, or, or yeah, paper like, towel apart? Yeah, I just put the whole cutting whole in cut. the bag. Okay. And I kind of blow a little air in there. And um, set it somewhere warm and where it gets a little light. Okay. It roots. It takes a long time, but it roots. Yeah. I, you can, I tend to, if I'm doing a stem cutting, 
uh, in a plastic bag, I use sphagnum because it's what works for me. It doesn't mean that it is right or wrong. Uh, lots of people will put per- wet perlite mm-hmm. in the bottom of the bag and stick mm. the, the stem cutting in there. Same with plumeria. That's what a lot of people yep. do. Yeah. Uh, perlite works um, and just straight. Lecca. I've seen yep. people use Lecca. Yeah. Straight perlite. Whatever it is that will give the roots something to attach to and promote growth. So you also want to keep the humidity up and keep the heat on it. Okay. Yeah. I think that's that's something I've, the most valuable thing or one of the most valuable things I've learned from you ladies is heat and humidity. Oh, and things yeah. just happen so much faster. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know I did some skindapsis cuttings. I think I think it's an exotica and I gave both of you yeah. some of them. But yeah. what I did with those is I just started them in water. And then when they started rooting, I planted them in um, just little two by two containers. Mm hmm. I got to tell you, they're taking forever, but one of them is finally showing some new growth. So I'm like, okay, they're doing okay. They're just taking their time. But I also only just have them sitting in my office. I don't have them on a heat mat. Yeah. I don't have them in a high humidity location. So I'm thinking like if I had done that or if I were to move them, I might see something faster happening. I just don't have the space for that. Right yeah, now. mine um, got a little neglected when it got home and dried out a couple of times. I'm just taking a page out of Chris's book. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. Thanks. Uh, so I just recently put it downstairs onto a heat mat. The leaf that was yellowing has stopped yellowing. It's drying out faster in between waterings, which is good to promote root growth. And so actually, I do have room in my um, Millsbow cabinet, but I'm a little worried that it be too close to the light. So. Um, because the shelf is on like the bottom uh, rung, let's call it. So the light is probably, there's probably only about a foot of room. Okay. So I'm, and the humidity in there is good. Temperature is good. But if, I'm worried if I put the cuttings in there, they're going to be too close to that light. So what you can do is take a bit of cheesecloth, something that allows light to come through, but not as much. And your lights are LED, correct? So they're not hot? Yes. Yeah, they're LED. Okay, sounds good. You want to make sure that the light does not get hot. But you can actually put a little shade, just a a couple layers of cheesecloth. Oh, yeah. Underneath, like in between the light and those cuttings at that point. And that'll help cut your light Oh, I'm totally doing that. Thank you. And chopsticks work really good to hold up that little tent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, chopsticks are great. Nice. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to try that. Thank you. Because I kind of want to just auction them off and get them out of my life. Yeah. I use, <laughs> um, yeah, you can either, you know, put chopsticks in the plant and drape the, the cheesecloth over, but I like looking at my plants. So I use the, uh, the 3M hooks, the, oh, yeah. the ones that move, and I just stick them on either side of my light. Yep. Or I'll use a piece of wire over top of the light that ha- holds it out a ways and just loop it underneath so that it's not touching the light yeah cool i can definitely rig something up and there um there's lots of room in there for that so yeah that's really good advice thank you do you have wire shelves in there or glass they're glass right now okay yeah Yeah. the wire ones i not gonna lie i get fancy every once in a while i'm like clothes pins it's fun (laughs) whatever works whatever works yeah most my plants are held onto their trellises and stuff with just like little dollar store little kids hair clips See, nice. Yeah, and I, I get super fancy. I'm like clothes pins, binder clips. I put one on a trellis the other day with an old paper clip that I found because yeah. it just happened to be what I had. <laughs> I'm just like, it's fine. It's fine. Amazing. I love it. Uh well, Stephanie, hopefully that answered all of your questions. Um, I think is there anything else you guys want to add before we move on to our next topic? Patience. Oh, yes, that's yeah. true. That's it's, true. Yeah, it's Plants can fail overnight and then take, you know, a year to reward you. They're yeah. they're fickle that way. Just be patient yeah. with it. Keeping a close eye on it. You know, a little bit of sphagnum on the roots isn't going to hurt. Well, and sometimes when you think you've killed a plant, you actually haven't. Oh, yeah. I've done that before. Yeah, that's why I like to wait till they're like, you can blow on them and they just blow away. Yeah. They disintegrated yeah, into nothing. Yeah, we did a uh, a bring out your dead post on our local plant group which we do regularly so that you know everybody realizes that we all kill stuff and i had one that i'd posted one time it was a sansevieria and it was all crusty there was one green leaf you should see it now it's gorgeous yeah (laughs) that's my moonshine sansevieria did the same thing i thought it was going to be gross and dead and i remember jeff even saying why did you move this when it 
why did you move this to a new house? And I'm like, just wait. But now I got new leaf coming up. Two yeah. actually, two spots where new stuff's coming up. Just takes time. Yeah, Some it turns time. out that my sands actually, when I actually watered it, it was like, oh, hey. <laughs> Sorry about that, buddy. <laughs> I totally understand. Totally understand. Okay. So I think it was last episode, we were talking about doing an episode about drunken disorderly plants, which is hilarious. Right? Yeah. So essentially plants that contribute <laughs> to anything that uh, might get you drunk. Uh, might, drunk. Uh, and, and any plants that might end you up uh, collecting unicorn poo. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think we were all. <laughs> wow. That was quite the thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So we've done a little bit of research into a few individual plants. And you know what? I think, Sue, why don't you go first? OK. OK. Well, there was lots. So many. So many. And I mean, did you want to go off one that makes alcohol or that makes you think that you you know, are getting uni collecting unicorn poop or one that turns you into thinking you are unicorn poop. Um, it was really hard to decide. <laughs> well, that's the thing, yeah. because there are plants, that's true, that are can create alcohol, but there are plants that can create many other substances or and are the substance. Yeah, yeah. lots of, um, oh, what's a good word for it? Uh, extracurricular experiences? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> spiritual, <laughs> spiritually. Um, oh, amazing. Yeah, it, it's, there was hard, but I also, because... I like tequila. I just, I like tequila and that's made from blue agave and I like agave. So, which I kind of felt bad because I know I get Amanda likes agave, okay, but I was like, I don't think she likes tequila as much both as I of, Both of you, by the way, I'm like, let's do drunken disorderly plants. And I'm like, I've got an agave collection. Sue pipes up on the chat. She's like, I'm doing agave. I'm like, I love gin. You know, Chris pipes <laughs> up on the, I'm like, I got you. I was like, oh. Yeah, but you're Irish. So I just thought you'd do vodka. <laughs> <laughs> Just assumed. Oh, okay. Or Russian. Are you Russian? No. No? <laughs> no, no. Definitely Irish. Yeah, I picked, uh, I, I like tequila. And I know a lot of people are like, they had bad drunks off of it, so they don't want to drink it. But like, to have good tequila is, it's, I like it. I'm that odd person. But it's made from blue agave. So it's actually very interesting how they make it. And what makes good what, why, why, why you're paying the price you pay for good tequila. So, um, so agave, it is a succulent more than it is a cactus. It grows in the desert and dry places, hot, dry places. But it's actually more of a succulent and kind of grows um, kind of like a yucca and a sands kind of combined. I actually have a blue agave at home. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, one. They're very pokey. They're they're probably deadlier than the cactuses because at least the cactus pines will either like break off, even though it might be in you, poke you. Um, but these ones like they'll poke you and just keep going. They don't break. Yeah, no, they they just shred you. It's just <laughs> like getting into a knife fight with a plant. Yeah, they just completely impale you and um and stay strong about it. And they're big too. Yeah, and the agave is actually used like there's some types that years ago um. People would use them for the quills for needles or their leaves or stems. So they've been used for a lot of different things. But um, yeah, so it's found in the blue agave is found in Mexico. And actually out of the 166 species of agave, there's 125 found in, um, in Mexico. So that's just a little agave history for you. So it's made from the pina of, I know that. Make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you guys. I love, I love us so much. <laughs> From the agave. So where the blue agave leaves come out, there's like a base, like a core. And so they come out and they grow really long. They can grow up to six feet long. And they actually take about 12 years to mature. So there are some tequila makers out there that like to use slightly immature um, agave. And then there's ones that like to use slightly like kind of past their prime mature agave and so but the best comes from the around 12 year mark and um so they take off the leaves and these leaves have juice and everything in them but they actually don't use that they use that core 
that core, it's where the insulin for the plant goes. So it's sugar. It has a lot of sugar sap in it. But it's really hard. So they kind of shave off all the leaves. They use the leaves for different things. They use that core, the pina, um, and they might chop it in half or quarter it, depending on the size of it. And they throw it into these big ovens, these big steel drum ovens where they heat it up really high, but it actually creates a lot of steam inside the drum. And they steam bake them for anywhere from about 24 to 48 hours. And that helps bring the insulin out. And then what they do, and this was like where I thought it was really interesting, is they take that because it kind of starts to turn into to mush a little bit. So they shred it. But how they shred it, they put it in a big round bin. And you know, like when wine, you're like, you know, you step on the grapes and squish the grapes with your feet. So it's kind of that kind of thing is they have donkeys that pull this big wheel around that grinds it and around and around. So there's still seven um, kind of popular brand tequila makers out there. And so like Patron's one of them. And they still use that method to this day with the donkeys pulling the big wheel around. Now there's like machinery ones that kind of spin it around and turn it into like a pulp. And then they get the juices out of that. And so that juice, what they refer to as the insulin of the plant, is the sugar of the plant. And so they take that sugar and it's super, super sweet, but it actually tastes like a raw potato Hmm. once Hmm. it's baked. Yeah, I'm like super sweet and raw potato. I don't quite see <laughs> how that goes there? together. I've had raw potato before. I would not say it's super sweet, but yeah. So, like, if you were to eat the peanut or anything, and that's what it tastes like, and that's what the texture looks like, it would taste like or be feel like as a raw potato. So they cook it all down, and then they distill it, and they distill it twice. So sometimes this clear tequila comes off, and it's clear and it's very white. They call it white tequila. And they'll sell that. And some people really like that kind of first distill, but it's lower in alcohol and it's just doesn't, the flavors haven't been brought out. So they distill it a second time. So the first time it's only like you get up to about 25% alcohol. The second time they distill it, that's when they get up to like 55 to 75%. So your high-end tequila, they want to kind of distill it. It ferments or sorry, before they distill it, they ferment it and then they distill it. Um, but it gets distilled twice and that brings it into the 55 to 75 percent alcohol. And after they're done that, then that's when they put other additives and everything in it to mm-hmm. to make it like so you can drink it um, and and ingest it. But like, yeah, so there's some out there that speed up this process um, now just because of technology. But there's a lot of information out there where people look like. That is not what they want in their tequila. They want the like old school. So when it's distilled, it's actually distilled in copper drums, not steel. They use stainless steel, but they have copper in them. But the newer ones, but old school copper drums. So it's really expensive. Like copper is pretty expensive um, to make those drums and have those drums. But they'll they'll distill it in those and they'll distill it twice. And yeah, that's my... My tequila, how agave changed the world with tequila. And tequila has been being made for many, 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 many years. Yeah. They actually don't have a recording of when they think the first tequila was made. Oh, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. You know, I actually visited uh, a hacienda in Mexico a few years ago. And so we took this tour. We went to a few different places. And one of the places we stopped was this tequila distillery. So it was a family kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, it would have been in Jalisco, I think. I think we were in Puerto Vallarta at the time. Um, and so we went in and they showed us all the agave and how they showed us the oven. They showed us the distillery. It was really cool. The other thing they showed us is how to actually drink tequila. So if you are shooting tequila, um, as a, as just itself, what you want to do is make sure you have no air in your mouth, put the tequila in your mouth with no air. That's like the most important part and then swallow it. And what happens is, is you actually can taste the, the tequila rather than um, it, then the it's burn. not so harsh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, rather so, than the smell of the tequila, yeah, you get the taste. Yeah, exactly. So um, we, you know, obviously had little bits of tequila while we were there. And of course, bought some tequila when we were there. You, you had tequila in Mexico? <laughs> Weird. <laughs> but it was so cool because they were like, okay, just drink it like you normally did or do. And we did. And then we they're like, okay, now do it this way. And it completely changed the experience. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So if you're looking for the proper way to shoot tequila, no air in your mouth. And then after you're done swallowing, that's kind of when you can really taste it. 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. Neat. Yeah. It didn't say anything about how to drink it. Um, I guess everybody just has their own way of drinking it. I'll have to try that because I actually do like tequila. Yeah, do try it. It completely changes the experience. Yeah. Like my most favorite drink in the world is La Pomelo. So it's grapefruit juice, um, a little bit of simple syrup. I usually use raw sugar if I'm making it at home and a little bit of soda water, just a little bit and and your tequila. And that's that. Mm, I like tequila. so good. I feel like we mm. needed fancy drinks for this recording. Yeah. Oh, we totally yeah, should have not, drinks. not coffee and half open eyes, but yeah. <laughs> um, I like the tequila. And here's the interesting thing. In Mexico, there's like 22,000 um, tequila farmer or agave farmers. And out of them, only some of them make their own tequila. A lot of people like sell it to the tequila plant distilleries and everything to have. But there's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of agave farmers. Yeah. Considering it takes 12 years to mature. Imagine the day that you go to make, like, to do the steaming and stuff. Like, you'd want to be so careful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, to wait like, that I long. I'd have to take 12 years to regrow this. So, yeah. And I used to think pineapple took a long time because I love pineapple and that's three years. But, like, 12 years to get a mature. And like I said, there is some people who will go to, like, nine, ten years. They'll take it, you know, a little bit before, like, premature, aged yeah. tequila. And I mean, then the distilling process, then they age it, you know, it gets barreled up and aged and sits for a while and all that. So kind of reading about this kind of made me understand why, you know, people pay $160 for, you know, a two six of some kind of tequila. Totally. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I'm usually like, I've bought like $60, $70 tequila before. Um, and that's kind of my top shelf. But now I'm like, okay, I'm going to get some even more top shelf. <laughs> you know. It's actually neat. The, I... I'm sure there's a bunch of people that already know this, but I learned today that alcohol does no longer ages once it's bottled. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so to age an alcohol, it's got to be done in the process. Once it's bottled, it no longer ages. Hmm. Yeah. So when you get your wine and you've had it in the back of the cupboard because you're not sure about it, if you want to drink it or not, and it's been there for 12 years and now you think like, oh, this was like, you know, a good aged wine. Oh, yeah. I could and then you just added 12 years ago. Yeah. You didn't add 12 years to it. Yeah. I wish we were like that. Like once you hit a certain age, you just didn't age anymore. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, just bottle yourself and you're like, I'm good. Yeah. I'm I good. will say, though, that I when I went to um, Okanagan last year, we brought some wine home and we found this really amazing little winery uh, called Silk Scarf. And that stuff was amazing. And they well, and they did give us some bottles. They're like, OK, you have to you can't drink these yet. They do have to age in the bottle for however yeah. long it was. Um, they're probably, I think in the summer we can drink them. We actually don't drink that much, honestly. We just, if we might have a glass of wine, if people are over and stuff, but, um, well, Richard likes gin. I like gin too, but I just don't drink it that much. <laughs> but I, um, but yeah, so they, they actually like had sticky notes for us to put on the bottle saying like, don't drink this until X date. Nice. Hmm. I'm yeah, kind of curious. I, as I too. tripped and fell on a bottle of gin this week. <laughs> I like I like gin. Um, I just had some. It was good. Yeah, like right now or well, no. Some, like, you have some gin in that coffee. I had some this morning before I came. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm. That's why I get to talk on the air. No, just kidding. Oh boy, uh, <laughs> everyone's like, oh, there's Sue. She probably had drinks before uh, she got on the air again. Amazing. Um, well, no. speaking of gin, I have to tell you guys about it. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, how yeah. does that sound? Okay, so. I like gin. Um, gin is an incredible beverage. It was, it's actually England's national spirit. Um, I like the English a little bit more right now. <laughs> <laughs> so the English discovered gin when they were fighting in the 30 years war in the 17th century in Holland. And they saw Dutch uh, soldiers drinking this beverage. They actually took uh, about a hundred years or so to make what the kind of gin that we know today. Um, but Gin is actually in uh, the most used spirit in fancy cocktails. So out of any other spirit. That's because it's awesome. It's awesome. Also, you're not really supposed to shoot it. Now, if you're at a frat party and it's 1.30 in the morning and there's All nothing left. Yeah. All bets are off at that point. <laughs> yeah. there's, and there's nothing left. You're probably shooting gin. But You've got a bottle of really terrible <laughs> lemon gin somewhere and it's going oh, down. I forgot about lemon gin. Uh -huh. Oh, my gosh. Um, but all gins use juniper berries, uh, but there's no limit after that. So gin 
you can kind of add anything you want to it. And lots of times, um, you know, I went to a restaurant in Edmonton and they had like 120 gins on their menu. Oh, where? Okay, where is this? Where uh, do I need to go? Ampersand 27, I think it's called. Ampersand something. I'm sure it's 27. It's down on White Ave. Oh, okay. But their gin menu was completely insane. And so what you do is you take that um, base and you can turn it into whatever you want, mm-hmm. which is super cool. Uh, so gin drinking in England rose significantly once the government allowed unlicensed gin production. <laughs> Plus, yes. they also imposed a heavy duty on imported spirits. Uh, so that was like, OK, well, we're going to make it here cost less money. So, of course, you know, we're going to drink that. So it was much, much lower cost. Um, so that's kind of how it gained popularity in English or in England. And it looked like you could actually distill it in your home in the early 18th century. So stills are super dangerous. Uh, but apparently people were making gin in their houses. So much like we make beer in our houses today, I guess. So uh, it, a fun fact, my uncle um, at one point had his house burned down because his still by the furnace caught on fire. Yeah. Those are yeah. scary. You know, Those are scary. We're, we're a classy family. <laughs> I have a couple family members that... Um... And they, they're, each of their distillery things are different, but they, they distill things. Right. They're pretty dangerous. I'm they terrified distill of distills. Distills, that's not the right word. But <laughs> So gin is made from Juniperus communis, and it is extremely uh, common in Yeah, it's an Canada. incredibly common plant. Yeah. yeah. So all across Canada, I see the map here. Um, we could grow it here if we wanted to. Down into the U.S., I see a little bit of its natural range, but essentially all in the band all around the world. Um, like if you took Canada and drew a big circle around the earth, that's where this plant can grow. Anywhere so, in a boreal forest. Yeah, absolutely. So I know we were talking about that before we started recording. We could go into the forest. Amanda could point to a tree and be like, there's a juniperus communis. We'd be like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Amanda could say, there's a gin plant, and we'd know exactly what that is. <laughs> that's right. Gin plant. Yeah. Uh, so it looks just like any, from what I can tell, it looks like any other juniper, really. Um, but it's pretty big. Pretty big. It's a tree. Yeah. And the berries are actually really, really pretty on it. They're a nice, rich blue, kind of purple. And So the fruit are berry-like cones. They ripen in about 18 months. Uh, they're spherical, 4 to 12 millimeters. And um, I want to see one in real life. <laughs> you realize that's going to entail you walking in the woods where there's bugs, right? Okay. I actually like the woods. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm not, Sounds good. I'm not a complete princess. I mean, you know. Okay, Sparkle. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Amanda, you were saying you use these in your tea sometimes. Yeah. I. Um, so my poor husband, um, every time we go for a walk in the woods, his first thing out of his mouth is quit putting stuff in your mouth because <laughs> I tend to eat my way through the forest. But yeah, I um, I pick uh, the ingredients for a tea and I just make myself a herbal tea and I, I love it. I'm sure everybody else would probably cringe, but yeah, I've got juniper in there and uh, Labrador tea. and I want to try that. Like, I really want to try it. You know, I just recently learned that tea, this is completely off topic, but that tea... Is just the steeping of things, pulling out the flavor. Like yep. I thought tea was like, you needed a tea leaf. No. <laughs> but like anything that you stew in water and then drink that runoff with, and that's hot, or that whatever the flavor is like soaked into that water, that, that's what tea is. Yeah, like mushroom tea is legitimately mushroom tea. Yeah. <laughs> Soaking mushrooms in hot water and then drinking it. Mm. Well, we are in the Drunken Disorderly podcast, so. Exactly. <laughs> mushrooms are a drunken disorderly plant. So even though gin um, is England's, England's national spirit, the Philippines actually drinks the most gin. Oh, really? Yes. So that's, I thought that was interesting. And it actually stems back. Uh, juniper-based health-related tonics appeared uh, documented in about 1269. Nice. So it's been around for a while. And there are certainly um, some history with it where... Folks who are very in tune with the earth would be using juniper for um, health related 
hydroponics and... See, I'm not crazy. I'm just following my ancestors. No, you're absolutely not. (laughs) Um, So gin is just, it's such an interesting um, drink or interesting spirit. So we have some gin we got from a distillery in Vernon. And when you, it's pink, but when you mix citrus with it, it turns purple. Yep. Or it might be the other way around, actually. It's purple and it turns purple pink. Purple into pink. Because the Empress does the same Empress thing. Empress does the same. Yeah. And so you can kind of do anything with this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's in one of my favorite drinks, Tom Collins. So good. But yeah, more classic cocktails are made with gin than any other spirit. And I, I find it interesting that uh, different distilleries distill it with um, different things. Like Hendrix, for example, uh, distills their gin with roses and cucumber. And a glass of Hendrix with a slice of cucumber in it is like one of the seven wonders of the world. <laughs> um, the, your uh, distillery in Vernon, uh, the Empress Distillery in Victoria, they distill their gin with a bunch of other botanicals, which is what gives it the purple color. Yeah. And it's kind of, I don't know about yours, but mine's kind of, flo- the Empress is kind of florally and a little bit smoky. So you put that in with something like uh, an Earl Grey tea. Mm. And it's so good. Gin and tea. I never would have thought. <laughs> G and tea. <laughs> G and tea. <laughs> oh, boy. Alcohol and tea is actually really good. Oh, it is. Yeah. yeah I, I, like hate, it. I hate hot alcohol. <laughs> I I do not. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, yeah, but generally it is. It's in all sorts of um, Tom Collins, Hanky Panky, Gimlet, Singapore Sling. There's a ton that you can try. And I think you... Like a gin martini? Yeah, martini, absolutely. Um, And I think you're right, Amanda, trying to find the perfect blend of flavors. Because if you change the gin that you put into your cocktail, that's going to change the taste of it completely. Oh, absolutely. Exactly. You know, if I'm drinking uh, something like Bombay, I like it with citrus. You know, if I'm drinking something like Hendrix, which is like my... That's... I love Hendrix. It's so good. Yeah. But that that one there, I want something like a slice of cucumber or um, cucumber and celery, something very mm. fresh and crisp on that end of it. And it just brings out the flavors. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Uh, the Empress is really, really amazing with grapefruit. Oh, it would be. Yeah. Plus you get that really cool reaction happening. Oh, yeah. We just bought a gin from... And we found it in Calgary, but it's actually made in Saskatchewan. And it's a farm to table alcohol. So like they farm all their. All the ingredients. All the, all the ingredients for it. But Ooh. anyway, it had raspberry in it. And it, it won some world like the, it's called Dry Fox, I think. Dry Fox. Anyway, they have some that won like in the worlds for, for gin. Um, but the raspberry is just nice. It's a nice sippy tea and like really just I like club sona. I don't really like tonic water. I don't know why. I just prefer club soda. And uh, just that with ice, it's good. Yeah, it's I'm good. a gin and soda person myself. Although I, tonic water has grown on me because you can get some incredible tonic waters. I am all about the tonic water. The, you know, quinine. Yeah, yeah I yeah. just, I'm all about tonic water. Yeah. It's I, got plants in it. <laughs> I drink it a little bit, but it's, I prefer soda water. I don't know why. It's also sweeter. I mean, so maybe that's why I don't. Yeah. I don't really like sweet alcoholic drinks. Yeah, because you would think that tonic water, when you look at it, you're like, oh, yeah, that, like, that has no calories. It doesn't taste no, like it much. It is loaded oh, no. with sugar yeah. to the umph degree. <laughs> yeah. Completely. Yeah. So that could be maybe why it's not my favorite. I mean, I'll drink it, but it's not my favorite. Every once in a while with gin, I like to be just a little bit on the, uh, the easy side. So I'll grab one of like the flavored soda waters mm-hmm. and just use that. I'm like, grapefruit, done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I like it because it's, I like clear alcohols. I prefer them. So um, in with the soda water is just like, it can be so refreshing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Amanda, um, which, what do you have for us? Yeah, you kept yours a secret. Know. Yeah, I kept mine a secret because I want to see if you guys can figure it out. Okay. Okay. So first off, I want to say there is a book out there called The Drunken Botanist. <laughs> and it's by Amy Stewart. It is an awesome book. It is fun to read and... It, just makes you want to have a drink or two and then i have to give a shout out to like the most important plant in drunken plants is yeast Mm -hmm. because that is all about the fermenting yeah this is a plant well not really i don't even know it's not but uh it's still kind of 
falls under the plant okay. umbrella. Okay. We'll, we'll go with that. We'll be liberal with that one. Yeah. And that was a genuine question because yeah. I did not know. I know. Yeah. I was just going to be like, I thought yeast came from sugar. Yeah. Well, yeast <laughs> isn't technically a plant, but it, it kind of falls under that giant botanical umbrella. So we'll, we'll, we'll be liberal with that yeah. one. Yeah. Kind of like mushrooms, yeah. right? They're not really a plant, but they are. Okay, so we all know that I have an affection for plants that can kill you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so uh, this particular uh, alcohol is actually made from apricot pits. Sounds poisonous. Apricot pits can contain cyanide. Yeah. So in the distilling process, um, the uh, ingredient that can become cyanide is actually removed. And it's actually neat. The ingredient that can become cyanide is actually removed. So this particular drink originates in Italy. Any thoughts so far? Grappa. No. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. Keep going. Okay. So I really like when histories give you a couple of stories as to how something might have come about. Might have come out. Okay. So this is my favorite one. So apparently in the 1500s, oh, here, I'll give you guys another clue as well. This particular liqueur, there we go, it's a liqueur, did not occur in the United States until the 1960s. That's when they started importing it. By the 1800s, it was second in sales only to Kahlua. Frangelica. No. Do we we know what it is? I know exactly what it is. Do you think I know what it is? I, I think you've drank it. Okay. 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 So the stories behind it. So one of the uh, particular legends of this alcohol was that it was originally made by a widowed bartender or a widowed innkeeper, sorry, in 1525. She was a model and uh, love, fell in love with the painter Bernardino Luini in 1525. The particular painter she fell in love with was actually a student of Leonardo da Vinci. So we're talking 1500s here. So she had fallen in love with him and she made this uh, liqueur from apricot pits and brandy and gifted it to him. You guys are still apricot brandy. uh, No, it's not apricot brandy. It's a liqueur. (laughs) That is a that is a good guess, though. Yeah, that's a totally solid guess. So then. Here's here's the other story that I don't it's not quite as beautiful of a love story as falling in love with a painter. What you got? Uh, I can't remember what it's called. I don't like it. <laughs> it goes in blueberry tea. I'm thinking Tia Maria or oh, what's it called? I, I, I think I think Grand Marnier. Yes. Okay, no, it is not Grand uh, Marnier. Okay, All right. Okay. So here is the other story. So the Lazaro Lazaroni family of Serono. Nothing so oh, far. You're looking at us. Uh, <laughs> uh, Italy claimed the title of the inventors of amaretto. Oh, I hate amaretto. I, I love amaretto. Let me tell you why later. All right, sounds good. <laughs> so this particular family claimed that they had invented this amaretto. They had made it into a cookie and given it to the king of the time, and that was in 1851. So we have both these stories of you know this widowed innkeeper. So this widowed innkeeper had made it for, you know, the student of Da Vinci, who she was in love with and modeled for. Well, it turns out that her name was, uh, she came from the Rina, R-E-I-N-A family. And that family actually worked for the Lazzaroni family. And the, the rumor was, is that they had passed down her original recipe through the generations. So apparently that particular recipe from the 1500s is actually marketed as Di Serono original. Oh. Yeah. So the families work together and it's neat because, you know, amaretto, it's supposed to be the almond. Yeah. And it's generally not made with almonds. It's made with apricots. That's what caught me. Yeah, yeah, right. That's that's what got me as well. I'm like apricots. I know. I even thought to myself, okay, we've probably had it before. So yeah. And then I was think I was picturing the bottle, 
And I was like, nope, that's that's almonds. Right. And it's not. So the neat thing about cyanide is generally it's rumored to have an almond kind of taste. Oh, uh, okay. Anything that has that potential poison in it has that almond smell, which is why it tastes like almonds. Apparently now they use almonds in the distilling of it uh, in part with the apricot pits. but To bring out the flavor because yeah, to- they took it out kind of. Yeah, to to kind of help with the uh, with the apricot flavor. Hmm. You know, I've never been a fan of fake almond flavor, uh, and so maybe maybe <laughs> in a past life I died by cyanide poisoning. Oh, that's but, likely it. <laughs> but so, I also like the reason why I don't like it is because I had it in excess when I was young, like in my early twenties, or like you know, like it, we were legal here at eighteen. So let's just say eighteen and over. Um, because Alabama slammers were amazing. Uh, I was just going to say, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, I sat on a saddle at tracks um, many times having having some Alabama slammers. Yep. And <laughs> so if you're not sure what that is, it's or well, what I remember it to be orange juice, amaretto, grenadine. Yeah. Talk yeah. about the sweetest drink and in the I world. I think it had like a splash of like soda or ginger ale or something like that in it. Yeah. But it certainly I, it's been 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it loses me at the grenadine now. Yeah, right? I, well, I, I think we've all had that night where it's like, I regret this and will never drink that again. Mine is Zambuca. Yeah, Alabama Slammers and Vodka Slimes, which is vodka and like lime juice. Yeah, oh and, yeah. And water, or 7-Up. Yeah. 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 Oh man. It's very sweet. Yeah, Fuzzy Navels were another one. Yeah. Didn't drink as many of those. But Peach like, liqueur. But the, uh, um, the vodka yeah, slimes. Peach snops. Uh. <laughs> I love that we're talking about all our re- regrets now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but essentially, pretty much any plant that um, is got a sugar base, so sugar cane in rum, uh, agave, anything that has that sugar can be either fermented or distilled and turned into alcohol. Right. So we've got strawberry wine. Yeah. We've got all of these wonderful things. I I tripped and fell last weekend into some uh, crabapple moonshine. Oh boy. Um, it happened. Yeah, I think. It sounds yummy, but sure. It was a school night. I had regrets <laughs> on Monday morning. Uh, yeah. I, I like when I trip and fall in good, delicious drinks. I can have like one, and then I'm good. Well, this was old. Now. This was legitimate mason jar from you know yeah. down the street and around the corner. He shall shall not be named. <laughs> you know, arrive so, at like, my friend's farm. Moonshine. And, yeah, like there was crab apples floating in the mason jar. Still amazing. That's, that's the best kind, though. If you're gonna have moonshine, it has to have a flavor to it because moonshine on its own. Whew, I'm pretty sure you might as well drink lighter fluid at that point. It was actually really nice and smooth, which but, was yeah. Um, and I think really kind of unfortunate. Yeah. Don't all alcohols come from some sort of plant? You know, the majority of them do in some way, shape, or form. You know, you've got potatoes for vodka. Yeah. You know, so long as people have been growing stuff, people have been getting drunk off the stuff they grow. <laughs> well, even you know, I was reading a book once, and it was talking about um, like fruit on a tree that was fermenting because it was overripe, and and wasps and bees coming and getting a little bit tipsy off it. Yeah, yeah. Birds do it with berries. Like the uh, the tree that we had out the front of our house, our old house, the berries in the fall, they'd like shrivel up and fall to the ground. So then in the spring, they'd come and eat them off the ground and you'd see them kind of <laughs> wobbling around little a little drunk bit. flying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's but, probably how humans discovered it too, right? Yeah. Just by chance. And But you know, there's cider has been around for... I'm on Thousands a huge of years. cider kick this year. I, I always seem cider. to have like my summer drink. Like I find a drink and I'm like stuck on that for the summer. And right now it's cider, like a, a crisp, crisp, crisp cider. And um, there's a pear one, Okanagan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I totally love the pear one. It's yeah, my favorite. There's actually a lot of Canadian cider makers, which yes. is, is quite interesting. And we there's a lot of really great Canadian cider. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a very Canadian drink for some reason. Yeah, which is interesting. We should probably look up where cider originated. It's probably very European. Yeah. Oh yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, it's neat. Um, it's neat. Britain. The... Britain. Yeah. There, there's a shock. 
<laughs> I loved going there. I can't wait to go back. Yeah. But like, and it's neat how every kind of continent and country has their go-to for alcohol making. You know, whether it's wheat, barley, rice, you know, potatoes, all of these other kind of staple crops that they, they've built an entire alcohol culture around. And that's just the drunk ones, but like the disorderly ones, there's tons of that too. And a lot of the one, it comes from plants. Yeah. We'll have to do maybe like a more drug one. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, well, you got to think like just off the top of your head for, you know, disorderly plants, there's peyote, poppies, poppies cannabis, um, mushrooms, Cocoa. Uh, coca, coca. coca. Yeah. 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 Like there there's plants are really responsible for a lot of debauchery <laughs> and plants and yeast mixed together. Because isn't that what LSD is? Isn't it like um, a fermentation of yeast? I have no idea. I think it, I think I read I, that. I, one. I used to know that, but I've yeah. <laughs> used to know it. I, I've since forgotten a lot of my chemistry. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. There's like all plants. Plants contribute to everything, like our clothes. Yeah, so if you think about it, how do we use them? Is the is yeah. the question right for good, evil, or fun? That's right. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. it's all three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, any last thoughts on drunken, disorderly plants before we? I think we'll have to do a, a episode two of that. Oh, there's so many. Yeah, because there's so many. There's so many, and it's so do. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like I was doing a, a bunch of quick research, and like I just quickly did like eight plants and. Bananas were on the list, and I haven't even had a chance to dive into that. But I'm like, bananas in booze? This sounds exciting. Gross. De la banana. <laughs> I hate bananas. Oh, uh, monkey's lunch used to be one of my favorite drinks. <laughs> yeah, they were. They went down so easy, and then you stood up after a while, and you're like, oh no. <laughs> and then your body goes, oh my god, that's way too much milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't handle the milk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Awesome, ladies. Well, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I can definitely see us doing some more of those. And I think really what the point is, is uh, plants really do provide us pretty much anything. We decide how we use them. So I would just encourage everyone to please be responsible if you are going to be uh, enjoying any of these fermented plants that we've been talking <laughs> yeah, about today. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening. You can hang out with us online. We are on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Fancy Plants Podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Fancy Plants Podcast. And you can email us, especially if you have episode ideas, please do do that. And we were talking about Stephanie's question today. So our um, email is social at fancyplantspodcast.com. And I guess that's it for today. So we will see you next week when we're talking plants. Bye. Bye. It's all about the plants. Come on, sugar mama. Get your green on. I love a green color. The fancy plants. Oh, yeah, yeah.